Welcome to the Wild at Heart University radio program, where our mission is to bring to you messages that will equip you to go to the next level with your relationship with Jesus Christ. Satan hates the fact that you are equipping yourself to stand firm against his attacks and learning how to overcome them. We guarantee the information shared in this podcast will impact you or someone you know. Share what you are learning. Song, it is a prayer for God to order our steps. Turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah, a, ver- a chapter that maybe you'll have some uh, problems finding. Nehemiah, right before Esther, Nehemiah chapter 13. I want to tell you what I'm going to preach about today and uh, just hold on to your seats. Here's the title of my message. I know the curse reverser. We're going to talk about curses today and we're going to see some people set free this morning. Somebody say amen. Problem in churches many times is people are not set free. They're just given an entertaining message. Well, it's time we get set free. Come on, someone say amen. And don't say, well, I'm glad you're preaching that because my neighbor needs that. No, you say, I'm glad you're preaching that, Pastor, because you need it. Me. Come on, you everybody say, Pastor, you need this message. You're right, and if I need it, so do you. Come on, somebody say amen. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 2, and get ready to do a little chain in Scripture. This is what happens when you study for nine hours. You get to go from one Scripture to another to another, and God starts putting some connections together. So don't try to snooze right now, because if you snooze, you lose. You're not going to find out what this is about, so just bear with us a little bit. I will not preach, I don't think, until I get to about the halfway point of this message. Tonight I will be preaching a different message this morning. Make sure that you're in Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 2. And I know you won't understand this yet, just reading this verse out of context, but we'll get back with it. Because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them. Howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. I want everybody to say, God turns curses into blessings. Now you've got to say that again for me. God turns curses into blessings. Lord, I thank you today and I praise you for your word. I thank you, Lord God, that today some of us are going to be set free, Lord. We don't even know what we're going to be set free from. Some of us, Lord God, aren't even aware why we stumble so many times. We're not aware, Lord God, why we get hindered so many times. But today, Lord, this day is a defining moment in many lives. I pray, Lord God, that through the reading of Scripture, through the expansion of Scripture, Lord God, that it would take it would leap off these pages and become a rhema in our heart, O oh God. Lord, that the Logos would, would find lodging, Lord God, and that it would remake us, Lord, by Your very Word. Lord, put us behind Your Word and in Your Word. Put us through us today, Lord God. Change us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Last week I had an early appointment with my heart doctor. And as I drove into the parking lot, I noticed the car parked very close to the office. And uh, I was, I was pack, uh, passing by this car, and I couldn't help but notice the personalized license plate on this, on this car. Now, you may have some personalized license plates. You know, you pay a certain fee, and you get to put whatever you want. Now, you live in the South, so remember, everybody wants to put something of God on their license plate in the South. You know, and sometimes you've got to really stretch your mind to find out what they're trying to say. You know, I remember seeing one that was BLS. And I realized that that meant blessed, you know, because if, you, if you're going to go for Acts 2-4, it's already taken. So you're going to have to get some derivation, you got to get a little, bit, a little bit creative in order to do that. The other day, a couple months ago, I saw one in the, the letters were J-E-S-L-M-E. It took me a little while, I had to follow the car, and I realized it was Jesus loves me. And so you can get pretty creative. But when I passed by this car the other day at the doctor's office, there was no question of what it was trying to say. It was an SUV, it was kind of dirty. And uh, the ba- I was looking at the, at the back end of it, and I looked at the license plate, and it said, 
personalized license plate, cursed. Now, I don't know who would want to put a license plate on their car that says cursed, but a lot of things went through my mind, not only just sorrow and pity and, and man, what's this guy trying to say, but I thought, what is he trying to say? Is he at the doctor's office and his family cursed him with high blood pressure? I don't know. But I got this distinct impression that it was, uh, it was in uh, response to someone who he knew that was telling him he was blessed. I got the distinct impression that it was a rebellious heart. And so I basically went up to the back. I looked around. I don't want to get arrested too many times. I looked around. I went up to the back of the car, which was very, very dirty. And I'm not suggesting you do this. But uh, hey, um, there's only one of me. What can I say? I wrote on the back of the car. I know the curse reverser on the back of the car. His name is Jesus. And I just left. From that, God really came and gave me a message. It kind of hit me the whole week. And, uh, and this message was really born out of that incident. So uh, you've got to understand that this must be somebody that's probably stubborn. and probably someone who is trying to, trying to go against God with everything he has. I have no idea what his deal was. I never met him, didn't know him, wasn't waiting around for him. But, but obviously, that's a pretty big statement to put on your car, cursed. Pretty big statement to send 50, I guess it is. I don't know how many dollars it is. To send it away and get that, that, uh, that plate. And it was kind of interesting to me. You didn't have to stretch to find out what it meant. It was spelled right out. I don't think a whole lot of people were buying, car, buying a personalized plate that said cursed. But the most stubborn curses to deal with are hidden curses. Now, let me ask you a question. How many have ever cursed you? Raise your hand if you've ever been cursed at. Man, raise both hands if you've been cursed at a whole lot. I've been cursed in my life, and if you think you haven't, sometimes people will curse you without you ever hearing it. And there's a lot of curses. How many of you think that maybe in your lifestyle or maybe in your, in your generations that you may have some general, generational curses that may have been passed down to you? Raise your hand. Well, we all have them. We're all dysfunctional. In case you don't think you're under a curse and you're not dragging any around, Adam passed down curses to every one of us. And you may love your job, but I'm going to tell you something, working is still a curse. We were meant to sit in a garden, eat the grapes, and get sand all day long by trained animals. So we, we got cursed when we, went, when we acted in disobedience. And of course, that curse has passed all the way down to us. I don't know any woman here who's had children and hasn't cried in childbirth or it hasn't hurt. They tell me it hurts. Am I wrong? That's part of the curse. So curses follow us. Now, we know some of those, but... What about some hidden curses? Listen, men and women who know they are under some kind of curse often get delivered without any help, right, with very little help right away. If you know the specific curse and you name that curse, God can take away any curse on your life just like that. I just told you, God is the curse reverser. Come on, somebody say amen. But what if you don't know the curses that are on your life? What if there's some things that you're dragging around that you're not aware of was a curse? Well, now you can give me the blanket statement, well, everything's under the blood, but I'm going to tell you something. If that's the case, then why is it that some people keep having the same problem surface over and over and over and over and over again, even though they're saved? No, we don't want to just have some blanket theology here. Why is it that two people with the same problem, this person can get over it just like that in the name of Jesus, but this person seems to get a victory and then it comes right back on them over and over again? Pastor Ramon said, you bring it, you bring it here Sunday after Sunday. Why is that? Could it be possible that there may be a hidden curse in your life? Could it be possible that you're not aware that you're dragging something around and that you have to be able to address that curse before you can actually see it be taken away by the blood of Jesus Christ? 
There are those who have no clue as to the foundational curses which have been hiding in their lives since they came into the world. Often those curses remain, uh, and they, they remain on, they become victims of these stubborn curses throughout their lifetime. And there's sometimes that you can actually bring curses on yourself. And so we'll talk about all of that today as I teach you a little bit right before I preach. You know, hidden curses are some of the most wicked weapons used by the devil to hinder and to hurt mankind, whether they're saved or unsaved. And man, we have this idea that if we get enough education, that we can take care of all of our problems. It's kind of silly. It reminds me of something, uh, something I was writing the other day, just kind of doodling. I read something about uh, cavemen, if you can believe that. And they were saying that in 2000 B.C., when a caveman got sick, he got the members of his, of his tribe around and they would usually point to a root. Here, eat this root, it'll cure you. And then man got a little smarter, about 1000 B.C., the root that man would say when they got sick, that root's poison. Pray to the root god, Sema, he'll cure you. And then about 1800 A.D., they would say that prayer to Sema is pure superstition. Drink this potion, it'll, it'll cure you. About 1940, they said that potion is snake oil. Swallow this pill, it'll cure you. 1985, that pill is ineffective. Take this antibiotic. It'll cure you. In 2005, that antibiotic is artificial. Here, eat this root. So they go right back to the whole thing. Man just does this circular motion on all of his problems, never really getting his problems resolved. And yes, when you get saved, salvation and the blood of Christ cancels out curses. But you've got to place them under the blood in order for them to be canceled out. I told you, those who know that they're under some type of curse often get delivered with ease. But there's some people who never really can identify that curse. They don't know why they're a certain way and why they can't kick that certain habit or why they can't get over that certain personality trait. But what if you never identified a problem? Then you may be experiencing, now listen, if it keeps surfacing, a hidden curse. And this is the message I want to really tell you about today. So what are curses? Let's, let's go to Scripture and find out. They are the direct opposite of blessings. When I saw that tag, I knew that this man was fighting someone in his life who was telling him that they were blessed. I just knew it in the spirit. It's the direct opposite of blessings. When a person curses, a person speaks evil against someone else, causing mischief or injury to come upon that person. Curses are very, very powerful. And I want you to understand that. The reason we should never curse is because when man curses, now watch this, it's actually a calling upon evil. It's and when humans curse, it's human prayer to the devil, the father of all evil. When you curse something, you are, or a person, you are, calling up, you are calling up hell to put a barrier on that person's life. It's very, very powerful. Now, God curses things, but when God curses things, there's something different. It's because of evil that He curses it. Someone disobeys. So God puts a curse on the land. He puts a curse on the family because He has told them something. They knew better and they disobeyed. Let me give you an example. Some people's finances are cursed because God put a curse on your finances. And how do I know that? Because Malachi says if you do, don't tithe to God, it'll be a curse on you. So tithing isn't just about something. It's about if you've never had any success with your finances and you don't tithe to God, you've accepted a curse. And that is something that's in Scripture. I can't help that. I'd like to take that away and say there's an exception to it. There is not. God makes some pretty powerful curses in Scripture. And it's all directed at disobedience and evil. Come on, somebody say amen. So, don't you know that now I told you that, that curses are words of passion, anger, hurt, resentment, put together to bind a person with a spell like witches do. Now, 
Listen to the words I'm saying today. Curses, witches, spells. Sounds like Halloween, doesn't it? These are not fun and game things. These are things that are, called, that are part of spiritual warfare. And somebody may have put a curse on you, and you may never even have known it. Well, Pastor, that's getting pretty spooky on me. Well, I'm not trying to get spooky. I'm trying to get spiritual for you. Because you may be... And listen, if you, if you are aware of something, you can break it. How many of you know you'd want to break it? So, we're going to talk about breaking curses. Actually, we're not going to talk about it. We're going to see it happen today. Now watch. Now don't you know that I just told you about cursing. A whole lot of people here who are maybe marginal with their, with their language are going to think about the next time they try to say a curse. Cursing is very, very powerful. Especially for someone who's a Christian. To curse is to engage in a violent expression of evil against a person or a thing. And when someone curses using God's name, they do double harm. Because now they're calling up the powers of hell and they're asking God to bless them. That is a double whammy. That's why God says you should not take His name in vain. Because when you take your name in vain, most people that take God's name in vain do it out of a fit of anger. When they're angry at someone or something, they're actually using their passion in a type of curse and they're bringing God into the curse. And it is the worst thing you could ever do in your Christian or unchristian life. I wish somebody would have preached that to me a whole long, a whole lot, uh, long time ago. Come on, someone say amen. And when someone curses using God's name again, they are doing that double harm. According to Scripture, a curse is an invisible barrier that keeps people or things away from what God has intended for them. So when someone curses you or me, then you put a barrier there. You are, you are invoking the powers of evil. And how many of you know that evil has power? The Bible says it all over the place. It has power. Exousia. You're using your words as a barrier so that that person cannot get to the God-given destiny. Now, if that person is unaware of the curse, it may actually work. Now, if God is cursing something because of disobedience, He's saying, you will never get my blessings until you become obedient. Here's a barrier. How many are seeing that? So it's not right for us to do it. It's, it's, right, for, it's right for God only when there's disobedience involved. So I want, you to, I want to go slowly today before I preach. Let's look at several curses from Scripture as recorded in Nehemiah and 2 Kings. As a matter of fact, I'm going to put some Scriptures together that most people don't regularly put together. But it's all the same story as you will see. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 2, our text. It says, Because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them. Howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. Now, let me give you a little setting. I'm going to read it a little bit later in 2 Kings. But here's what's happening. Here's what it's talking about. Nehemiah is recollecting a time past... When Israelites, the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, Moses was leading them. They were coming to the area of Moab and Ammon, uh, the Ammonites and the Moabites. There was a city there by the name of Jericho. Jericho was the center of the Moabite-Ammonite community. And there were Moabites and Ammonites there. The king had ordered Balaam, a false prophet, to come because he was afraid of Israel taking everything from him. He ordered Balaam to come. I'm just paraphrasing this, this study here. He ordered Balaam to come so that Balaam could place a curse, a false curse, on Israel. If you know the story, God almost kills Balaam because he's trying to curse the people of God. God forbid anyone who tries to curse someone who is saved. I'm telling you, I'm going to get really detailed for you this morning. And so basically, God turns the curse around, and instead of becoming a curse, it becomes a blessing. And listen to this. Every time you curse someone or someone curses someone, and they're protected by God, that curse comes back on them. So Jericho comes under a massive curse because what happens is they try to place a curse on someone else and it reverts back. This is good stuff, people. Listen. So, it's important to know that God has the power then 
to break curses. It's important to know that he and he alone can really break those curses. Now, turn with me to 2 Kings. Let me fill it in a little bit. Chapter 2. This is what comes when you study for nine hours. Verse 13. Let me set this stage. Elijah has a, has a mentor who is, or excuse me, Elisha has a mentor who is Elijah. Elijah comes first with the J. And Elijah is going to be, you know the story, so I'm going to give you, fill, fill it in. Elijah is taken up by a whirlwind, not a fiery chariot, that's a misnomer. He is taken up by a whirlwind. A fiery chariot comes and divides Elisha from Elijah. But a whirlwind, a twister, a tornado, takes him up out of Elisha's sight on one of the mountains of Israel. The mantle of Elijah falls back on Elisha. And Elisha is now going in the power of this mantle. Now I want you to know, this is right after this happens, 2 Kings chapter 13, let me read it for you. He, also, he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? This is Elisha doing it. And when he had also smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. He just duplicated a miracle that Elijah had done. And when the sons of the prophets, which were to view him at Jericho, saw him, that means that he's very close to the city of Jericho. Jericho, you can see the Jordan River from Jericho. Very close. They saw him. They said, the spirit of Elijah does rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And they said unto him, behold, now there be with thy servants 50 strong men. Let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master, lest peradventure the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain and into some valley. What they're saying is, we know that a whirlwind came. We know that Elijah went up in a whirlwind. These are the sons of the prophet living in Jericho. They said, let's go find him. We've seen cows go up. We've seen the movie Twister. We know that a cow can come across in a tractor trailer. We know that he could take him from here and put him there. We've seen Twister. We know. That's what they're saying. Maybe he's on another mountain ridge. Maybe he's not with God at all. Now watch. And uh, Elisha, over the end of verse 16. And he said, Elisha, you shall not sin. You should not go. And when they urged him till he was shamed, he said, he said, okay, go ahead. They sent there for 50 men. They sought three days, but found him not. That's an a indication, by the way. That's a shadowing type of Christ in the grave. And they came again to him, for he tarried at Jericho. And he said unto them, did I not say unto you, go not? And the men of the city said unto Elisha, behold, I pray thee, the situation of the city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is not. That word for not, I'll tell you later, is the word cursed. And the ground barren. And he said, bring me a new cruise. And he put salt therein, and they brought it to him. And he went forth into the spring of the waters, cast the salt in, and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day, according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. Now listen, if you're used to coming to church, and you're a visitor, and you're used to getting one little point over and over and over again, and that's your message, you came to the wrong church. I am going to weave scripture so you understand the full implication of it. I've given you a couple stories. Now, just listen for a second. The question to ask here is, why were the waters of Jordan cursed? That's a big question. When I read my scripture, I, you know, I know he healed the waters of the Jordan. Or excuse me, the waters of Jericho. Not Jordan, but Jericho are the waters. That's an inward spring inside the city, very close to the river. He, the spring was cursed. The Bible says that Jericho, the waters were not ra'ah, evil, good for nothing. One translation says the water was cursed. The ground was also cursed. And when did the water of Jericho become cursed? Well, don't turn there, but I'll tell you when it happened. Numbers chapter 22, 
when Moses, at the 38th year of wandering in the desert, was trying to go through the land and pass over, where Joshua later would pass over, two years later, he was trying to pass over. That's when the Moabites tried to put this, and the Ammonites and the king tried to put the Balaam on them in Moses' day, and basically cursed them. That curse went straight back to Jericho, and that whole people and city got cursed, including the ground and the water. How many are following me? Okay. Now, we read the accounts in our text in Nehemiah, which is really reiterating that time. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 13. So all these scriptures relate to each other. I'll throw in another one there for a moment. Now, Nehemiah is living a long time later, and he's reaccounting this curse. On that day, they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, that's Numbers, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. That was another part of the curse. Because they met not the children of Israel with bread and water, that was at Jericho, but hired Balaam against them that he could, should curse them. Howbeit our God turned the curse that was meant for Israel into a blessing. Now, you're starting to get a couple of the pieces. I'm going to get real close to preaching here in a moment and start to amaze you. Not by me, but by God's word. Jericho here represents not just a city, but a people. Now, the people in Elijah's time who had inherited a curse from their disobedient ancestors. Let me tell you something. Mark Carell has inherited a whole bunch of curses from my disobedient ancestors. So have you. So don't sit there in your pedigree and think you're okay. We all inherit certain curses. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And so we inherit those curses. Now, I understand the blood. You're going to hear about the blood. Just, just bear with me for a moment. People sometimes also bring curses upon themselves by disobedience, direct disobedience, open rebellion, open defiance of God-given rulers and authorities. They were going against the people of God. You don't ever want to go against a God-given authority. And I'm not saying this for me. I'm saying this for you. And nobody's going against me that I know of, and probably people are going against me that I don't know of. It doesn't matter. What matters is you don't ever want to go against a God-given authority. Because if you're wrong, the curse goes back on you. It's a big chance to take. Come on, somebody say amen. So just listen. Those curses, according to Scripture, are passed down from one generation to another. I've gone to churches before I was before I actually took my first church, and I could see the generational curse on the altar. I could see the blood of them hurting one pastor after another, after another, after another. And man, God would just shut that door spiritually for me. And I would see, as I was candidating for my very first church, I would see, man, I don't even want to step there because I'm going to have to break all those curses, and I'm not ready for that yet. There's a lot of churches that carry curses with them. There's a lot of people who hop churches that carry curses with them. I could tell you some people that, that I would know. You want to hear the names? Take out a pad. I wouldn't do that. But let me tell you something. Every time they change a church, I could tell you how long it's going to take for that church to go downhill. How many have ever seen that? Raise your hands. Because they're carrying a curse with them and they may not even know it. Come on, somebody. Is this okay to preach? This is reality. Let's forget the fluff and, and, fluff and peanut butter, okay? This is reality. Okay. Now watch. And it doesn't get any better down the generations unless they break those curses. Turn with me to the continued curse that was on Jericho. Not only was it cursed once, it was actually cursed a second time. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 6, verse 25. Oh, don't you love this? Just to hear the word of God and just to see it proved in Scripture. Joshua 6, verse 26. 
This is after Joshua defeated Jericho. Remember, it had a curse on it. Now, Joshua defeats it later on after Moses. Two years later, as a matter of fact. This is what he says in verse 25. Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive. She was in the blessing part of it. And her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelt in Israel even unto this day. Because she hid the messengers with Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. But look at verse 26. And Joshua adjured them at that time saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn. He'll put the curse into his firstborn child, is what it's saying. And his, in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. He's saying, if anybody builds this city after I have destroyed it in the name of the Lord, they're going to have a cursing in their foundation son, their first son, and that curse is going to continue on until they put the gates on it, third, fourth, fifth generations down the line. That's a second curse on that area. By the way, I'm going to take people to Jericho today. There is nothing built over Jericho. It is, Jericho is a waste howling wilderness. There is a city, a city there that has it's just a heap of rooms that's never been rebuilt. There is a, if anyone goes and tries to rebuild Jericho, there will be a curse come on every single one of them. It is God's word. There are such a thing as curses. Come on, somebody say you see it. Now here's the amazing thing to me. How many of you have a Thompson Chain Reference Bible? By the way, if you're coming to this church, again, this is not something that we just give a little fluff message. We are people who love the Word of God. We are people who want meat. We do not want milk. Milk days are over. We want meat. Because the enemy is not feeding his troops on milk. He's feeding his troops on meat. And if you have milk, the enemy's troops are going to blow you away. But if you've got meat, you're going to withstand the storm. And you're going to be just as strong, if not stronger. You got a chain reference Bible. Look at the margins. In chain reference Bibles, some other Bibles, they will put the actual date that the event happened. Now, if you look at Joshua chapter 6, verse 25 and 26, do you have a chain reference Bible? Somebody yell out with ver- what date that is. Yell it out. Okay, 14, this one, chain reference Bible is 1451 B.C. If you have a chain reference Bible, it's 1451 B.C. You may have some other Bibles that say different dates. 1451 B.C. is an actual date. And there's a lot of people who try to put dates on them. It's in the margin because people can't, can't agree with it. But it's 1451. Archaeology has just completed proving that five years ago. 14 by archaeological finds. 1451 B.C. Joshua comes over and defeats Jericho. Now turn with me, if you will. Turn with me to, to 2 Kings chapter 2. If your Bible doesn't have that date, don't throw your Bible away. It's just the margins. People thinking about it. In 2 Kings chapter 2, when Elijah divides the Jordan, the date in the margin is this, 896 B.C. Now, if you're real quick, in addition, you're going to find out that 1451 minus 896 comes up with what? Comes up with this number. It is exactly 555 years later. How many of you think that means something? It does. Five in Scripture is the number of grace. It's the number of God taking the disobedience that was there and reversing it by His mercy and by His grace. It is not a coincidence that this is 555 years later. Five is the symbolic number of grace in Scripture, or in the grace and mercy. Whether it's five or fifty, I happen to be fifty years old. This is my year of grace and mercy. And believe me, as soon as I hit it, I asked for it. Any, any derivative of it, fifty-five, grace and mercy... 500, grace and mercy. 550, grace and mercy. 555, grace and mercy. Let me tell you how important this is in Scripture that I'm not just giving you some type of symbolic mumbo-jumbo. 
The tabernacle in the wilderness was set up with detailed plans by God, given to Moses. He gave it to the builders so that the children of Israel, who always messed up and who were consistently disobedient, could get the mercy of God. So they can go in there, offer the sacrifices through the priests, and have the mercy of God. Now follow me. They were rebellious. They were disobedient. You read about the wanderings in the wilderness. The tabernacle in the wilderness was set up so that God could give mercy to their disobedience. So they could approach God and receive His grace instead of His curses. When you read Exodus chapter 25 and through chapter 40, you're going to find out that the tabernacle in the wilderness is loaded with the number five. God is doing that specifically. What would be the difference if God had six cubits or nine cubits? Why all of these specific numbers? Let me prove it to you. It had five coverings on the top of the tabernacle itself. There were five boards on each side of it. There were five bars that ran down through those boards. There were five pillars next to those boards. There were five sockets of brass for those five pillars. The altar was five cubits long. It was five cubits wide. The anointing oil that was used in the Holy of Holies was 500 shekels of myrrh, five shekels of cassia. The gate of the court was five cubits long, five cubits high. Every male, after reaching five years old, was re- was required to bring five shekels of silver as an offering, to a grace offering to God. That's because the apple doesn't fall far from the tree and rebellion was continually passed on. So God started early. When you get five years old, let them have a five shekel offering Offering, I'm going to give them grace in spite of their disobedience. Later in Joshua chapter 8, when Joshua needed the grace of God because of his men's disobedience at Ai, because they went up and tried to take the city themselves outside of God's plan, God says, I'll give you the city, but I want you to take only 5,000 men. God is telling him, it's not about your men, it's about my grace, because you don't deserve it. You deserve the curse of your disobedience, but I'm going to give you grace. Now watch, God tells him to take those 5,000 men to destroy the city, and they do. There are five spies of Judges chapter 18 that are seeking mercy for the disobedient inhabitants of the city of Lachish. Even the Philistines know that the number five is associated with God's mercy. Because when they capture the ark and it wreaks havoc all over their, all over their land, the Philistines breaking out in the bubonic plague, bitten by mice who are loaded with the disease, breaking out in bubons, which are, which are, which are, which are hemorrhoids and gross that will actually kill you. They take the ark, they put it on a new cart, they make five gold hemorrhoids, you got to like this, five golden hemorrhoids, five golden mice, and they send it back to Israel, asking the God of Israel to have mercy on them. Five is the number of God's grace and mercy. Now watch, in Solomon's temple, when it's erected in, on, in, uh, on the holy hill, the, in the holy of holies, which is the ultimate place of curse reversal, it was five cubits long, with chambers five cubits high surrounding it. The wings of the cherubim, God commanded them to make them on the mercy seat five cubits high, each wing. There were five pillars that stood at the entrance to the Holy of Holies. There were five bases uh, on, directed on each side of the house. 550 officers were directed the building of the temple. In Leviticus chapter 26, it says that five of us can chase away a thousand. Oh, come on. Five of us can't chase away four if it wasn't for the grace and the mercy of God. It's the grace and mercy of God. There are five porches in Solomon's temple where Jesus taught the end to the curse of sin. There are five letters at the pool of Siloam where Jesus took away the curse from the impotent man. The miracle of the feeding of 5,000 was really a miracle of the, of the miracle of the number five. There were 5,000 men, Matthew 14 says. Five loaves, Mark 6 says. They sat in groups of 50, Luke says. 
Jesus' name is mentioned five times with this miracle in John chapter 6, verse 5 through 15. In Acts chapter 4, verse 4, 5,000 of the disciples, of the believe the disciples report. In 1 Corinthians 15, 6, when we're told that the resurrected Jesus had been seen by at least 500 men. In Genesis chapter 5, when Noah ends with Noah, who is 500 years old, when God remembers him after five months. What am I talking about? Because, why is this happening? Because his grace was about to end the curse. It's that number five that says, I will end the curse. There's nothing you can do. When we get to 555 years, that's the number five in triplicate. And anytime you have a number in Scripture that's in triplicate, it means it's a complete act of something. 666 is a complete act of evil. 555 is a complete act of God's grace. 555 years later, it's time. God's going to heal the bitter waters of the, of the city of Jericho. Now just listen. Look, when God created everything in Genesis and passed them through this quality control laboratory, the verdict that came out was everything's very good. God never built this or, or created this place with a curse on it. That curse came from disobedience. Come on, somebody say amen. And it's inherited. And we add to it sometimes. Even till this present day, if you've ever studied biology, you know that the plants have no problems. They don't war with each other. Water has no problems. The animals aren't complaining. The air doesn't fight itself. I've never gone out in my backyard and saw the rhododendrons fighting with the roses. My monkey grass does not jump on my centipede grass and overcome it. The water in my pond isn't all up in arms against the water in my pool. I don't hear little water droplets gossiping about the water droplets in the pool. Contrary to Alfred Hitchcock's movie, the birds outside my house have never gotten together to take me out. I have never walked out my back door and heard, Ark! Ark! There's more! Ark! Never. No, it's people who cause the problem at Jericho. It's men that complain and bring curses upon their land, their water, their plants, their animals, their households, even their very generations. That's how it happens. Look at, even to the foundations, look at Joshua chapter 6, verse 26 one more time. It says this, And Joshua jured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that rises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall they set the gates of it. It says, Rebellion is going to be in disobedience in him, in his firstborn, and in the next generations that come. Because they went against what I told them. Turn with me to Psalm 11, verse 3. If the foundations be destroyed or cursed, one translation says, what can the righteous do? What can you do if there's a whole bunch of generational curses in your family? What can you do if there's curses even since you were here? Many of the problems we face today in life are foundational problems. Disobedience of past generations. Listen, the black and white issue in Alabama is a direct result of rebellion from blacks and whites way back when. Now, let me tell you when I say blacks and whites. When whites go against blacks, in the name of God, it's wrong. When, when blacks respond and have an equal prejudice, that's wrong. There is no such thing in God's eyes as black and white. Both of those sides are acting in disobedience when they keep a race war going. When you keep a race war going, you pass your disobedience down to your children, you pass it to your grandchildren, and you pass it to everybody else down the line. 
I am not a native of Birmingham. I am a missionary here. Let's not forget that. I get to see this whole area, and I can see exactly the problems that are there. I've been here for an awful long time, and I can tell you where the problems lie. And churches are not exempt. Now listen, whether you like it or not, just listen. I know you do, most of you, but just listen. And don't dismiss these because you're saved. There's a lot of saved people who continue in the curses of the generations past. And listen, if the curses are gone, then why do you still have an anger problem? Like your dad did. If, Jesus, if it's under the blood, then why do you still have a lust problem like, like your dad did? Why does your pride still get in the way if you are over it through the blood? I'm a realist. You can give me all the theory you want and all the theology you want. If I don't see it happening in a life, it doesn't ha- it's not happening. So why is it that the problem still comes? Now, how many of you this is tough to hear? Raise your hand. How many of this is not tough to hear? You really want to hear it because you really want to break any curses in your life. Well, so do I. Listen, look at me. I'm cursed. I've got curses in my life just like you have in your life. I want freedom from any curse. Do you know sometimes I get angry sometimes? Do you know that that's a curse? Do you know how angry I was before I was saved? Thank God you don't see that curse come out. Thank God it's, it's, but it still tries to come back. I mean, don't tell me that you're saved and you've never gotten angry since you're saved. Because I'm going to call you a liar. Don't tell me you don't have things that try to surface and pull away all the things God has given you. What do you think that comes from? That doesn't come from God. That comes from a base nature. We are in a fight. Your body, your physical, and your spiritual are fighting each other. What do you think gossip is? Gossip is a curse passed down. Break it in your generation. Your kids won't gossip. Come on. You know, maybe I don't need to preach like this. No, no, no. Once there was a little bunny. And the bunny would say his prayers every morning. The sun would come out and shine on the bunny. His ears would go real floppy. And it was really nice. Now touch your neighbor's hand and tell him that you love them. I'll see you next week. We're never going to get better that way. I love you. And I love you with a passion of a pastor that God has given souls to answer for. And I, lo- and I know God loves me, but you know what? We can be better. This isn't, this isn't a dressed down message to anyone. This is a message to say, wow, I didn't know that was going on in my life. I need freedom. Come on. We don't need psychiatrists. We need curse breakers. Listen, psychiatrists, if you go to a psychiatrist, they're going to find something wrong with you, even if there's nothing wrong. That's what they're paid for. I mean, duh. If you set up an appointment, they already know you need them. So they're going to find something wrong with you. Let me tell you something. If there's not something there, they'll make it up. But psychiatrists can diagnose their patients, whether you know it or not, by the time they arrive for their first therapy session. If you're late, the patient is resisting therapy. It's due to hidden regression. If you're early, you're pa- the patient is codependent on the therapy. If you're on time, you're, the patient is obsessive-compulsive. 
Many people have gone to church in America since they were in diapers. But now it's as if they have never been to any church. Many in our society go about with good-looking faces, but underneath the facade there is ugliness in their foundations. Planted by the enemy himself, psychiatrists can't help those who have a curse attached to their lives. They can't help somebody get free. Only Jesus said He came to set the captives free. That means the first premise of that is, there must be captives out there. And you know who the captives are? Captives are us! We need Jesus. If we were all free, we wouldn't need Him. We could have a party today. But we need Him. We need Him to set us free from everything that holds us back. Many are born without scars or marks, but now by the abuse of others they have acquired some. And the aggressive, rebellious, prideful mindset of past generations rushes them like a flood and it comes and manifests itself in them. That's why we have a discipline in Scripture. A person operating under a curse is very easy for me or you or anybody to recognize because they'll be struggling against something and will be unable to master the thing and overcome it. Now listen. At the point of success, frustration comes in because, once again, that curse comes back and pulls them right down. You know, and this may sound silly to some of you, but if someone placed a curse on your life early on and they really tapped into the enemy, and it can, it can happen, and they place a curse in your life never to get a higher education, maybe they were jealous, you'll have trouble taking exams for entrance into college. Because curses are powerful. They're tapping into a spirit world. So, what do we do? Well, I'm going to give you two points this, this morning. Number one. You're going to have to identify the foundation. Go to the foundation and put it under the anointing, under the blood. Stop seeking grace while you're still practicing disobedience. Whoa. Look at 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 15. Man, you know, if I was ever to be left with a message that I wanted people to remember forever, it would be everyone I preach. But this one especially. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 15. And when the sons of the prophets which were to view at Jericho saw him, Elisha, they said, The spirit of Elijah does rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Can you see it? The sons of the prophets were living in Jericho. My question is, if they're sons of the prophets, it's like churchgoers, if they're sons of the prophets and they're living in Jericho, why didn't they or their dads take away this curse? Why did the curse of the water still stay there if there's a school of the sons of the prophets? Going to church does not take your curses away. Why didn't they do this? Let me show you why they didn't do it. It's right there. Because the curse is still on and in them. Look at 2 Kings 2.16. They said unto him, Behold now, there will be with thy servants fifty strong men. Let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master. Lest peradventure the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain and in some valley. And Elisha said, he said, You shall not sin. Don't go. They are still disobedient. They're trying to get the grace of God. That number 50, by the way, they're trying to take 50 men so they can get the grace of God and find Elijah. But they're not listening to the man of God. The man of God said he's not there. But they want to do it their own way, so they're showing disobedience. The reason why the curse of waters didn't come off of Jericho is you cannot expect the blessings of God while you're walking in disobedience. They're still rebellious. Now watch. Grace never comes while disobedience is still active in a life. In Luke chapter 17, verse 12 to 19, you may want to read it when you go home. You know the story. There's ten lepers. 
And Jesus heals all the lepers. The Bible says, Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. So they're walking to the priest. One comes back. He's a Samaritan. He's one that shouldn't have known this. He comes back and thanks Jesus. Jesus said, by your faith, you are made whole. In the Greek, the word is sozo. And some of the, and the reason why I want to put that there is because of this. It means you may be the, you are the unique whole one. It means that maybe the other nine lost their healing as they walked. Now, how would that happen? Well, maybe, maybe these are the same priests that would cast them out of the city. These are the same priests that would declare that they have a mark and say, get out of here, you're unclean. These are the priests that they're resentful for because they changed their lives. Maybe they're going to them with the wrong attitude. Maybe they're saying, I'm healed now. I'll show them. God doesn't heal us so that we can show somebody else and rub it in their face. And so what the Bible says is this one's made whole, but the other nine may have got their leprosy right back because they're walking in disobedience. Are you with me today? Now watch. Looking for God's grace while being actively disobedient. It's like trying to pet your dog that's at home while you're 500 miles away on vacation. It's not going to happen. You've got to get to the foundation of the problem. Why do you get angry so much? Why do you so easily lose your temper? Why do you think you're the only one who can run things? Why do you think when things get messed up, you're the only one that can do it? That's pride. Where did that come from? You want me to tell you who the father is of pride? Why do you feel that you're never, you're never going to be successful? Who told you that? Why, do you, why don't you think you can be forgiven? Why do you just continue to cry about your past sins? Why do you feel you can never be forgiven? Who told you you couldn't be forgiven? Certainly God didn't. Go back to your foundation. Who put that curse of insecurity on you? Who told you you'll never be wanted by anyone? Who told you you can't or you won't or you shouldn't or you'll never accomplish this or that? For some, it's time to repent from your low living and low thinking and step up to the grace of God. For others here today, it's time for you to step down from your high horse and who you are not and repent and step up to the grace of God. For all of us here today, it's time for us to go back to the foundation. Second Timothy says our foundation is sure. Our foundation is in us. Our foundation is in our family. Our foundation is in Christ Jesus. We are set, we are set in His blood. Our foundation is sure. Let me ask you this. How do you know what you can't overcome isn't a result of some curse you've been dragging along for years? How do you know that the reason you can't overcome this is maybe there's a curse been put on you? You never heard anything like that, did you? Well, listen, because we're going to break curses today. Even if you're a visitor and don't understand what we're doing here, we're going to break curses today. Right now, close your eyes with me, just real quick. Close your eyes with me and pray violently, violently with me. And I want you to say these things. I want everyone, if you want to do this, to say it. Close your eyes and just pray violently with passion. Lord, send your grace. Send your healing power into the foundations of my life. Number two, Lord, by your grace, send your healing fire into the foundation of my life. Number three, Lord, by your grace, settle my unsettledness and heal my emotions. Number four, Lord, by your grace, flood my soul with your healing word. Number five. Lord, by your grace, heal my heart, my mind, my thoughts, 
my wants, my desires. You better give the Lord a hand because now you've taken five steps of obedience. And now those curses are coming under the authority of God. You have confessed with your mouth. And now the enemy knows that the foundation is sure. He knows he can't use the old foundation on you. You've just given the enemy a death blow. But that's only half of it. You may be seated. It's only half of it today. Man, you can start to feel pretty good about it, aren't you? Well, get ready, because listen, this gets better and better. After you have identified the foundational fault and given it to God, which you just did, it's time to do the second thing. And the second thing is this. And man, I'm not just concerned about you being here today and getting excited. I'm concerned about your future. I'm concerned about the next time this thing tries to come up on you again. Come on, somebody say amen. Which is this. Second number two. It's time to add salt. Now watch. 2 Kings 2.19. Pastor Ramon, would you bring me that canister that's there? 2 Kings 2.19. You ready? It says this. And the men of the city said to to Elijah, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of the city is pleasant. Didn't that feel real good to everybody to do that? Pretty pleasant, wasn't it? They're saying, hey, you know, we had a pretty good thing in this city in Jericho. But watch. It's pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is cursed and the ground barren. Okay, now listen. It's time to change your future. To say some prayers that will change your future. It's time to heal the flow of your life. It's time to heal where your life goes from here. It's time for you to stand up and say, I made that commitment and now I'm taking it to the next step. It's never going to corner me again. It's never going to shackle me again. It's never going to come up on me again. How many of you want to do that? Second Kings 2.20, let me show you how. And he said, bring me a new cruise. Let me stop there. Uh, come on, and now I'm telling you, it's time for you to have a new cruise. And I'm not talking about three days on the Ocean Princess sailing out of Miami. I'm not talking about the Disney Line Express out of Orlando or the Mickey Mouse uh, sailing line trekking across the Bahamas. I'm talking about a new cruise that has nothing to do with the old you. You're going to walk out of here different than you walked in this morning. The word cruise there is the word Salo Keith. And it means this. This is what salt is taken in here. Not too, not too different from the size of the container in Elisha's day. He's saying, I don't want that. I want a cruise. It's a tall, narrow jar. Very tall. So I want this cruise. Now watch. Elisha is saying, get me something huge. Tall, narrow. The biggest container you could find. You see, this was Elisha, Elijah's student. He knew what to use by what he knew his master used. Now watch. Turn there later. I, can't, I don't have time to do it today. First Kings this morning, 17, 12 to 13. Don't read it now. Let me give let me summate this for you and give you a summation of what happened in First Kings. Elijah, this is why Elisha will call for a cruise. Elijah is in a famine. There's three years the famine's on the land. He meets a widow. She has a son. They are all dying. It's three years. Elijah's under the famine also. He called it and he's suffering under it. This widow and her son. He meets the widow and her son. No one's listening to Elijah in the place. No one is hearing him. That's why the famine came. They're ignoring the man of God. Don't miss this. They're ignoring the man of God. Nobody's listening to him. He sees the lady. He says, what are you doing? She says, I have a little bit of oil in a cruise. She used to be rich. She had a large jar of oil, and it was down to here. She says, I have a little bit left and a little bit of meal, a little bit of flour. I'm going to make one last meal, and me and my son are going to die. You know what Elijah, the man of God, says? Give me that. Make it for me. What? Whatever you want to do, I want the meal. Now, just listen real well, because... 
This may not happen with me and you, but maybe it can happen with whoever God points you to. You don't ever want to curse or take anything away from someone that God approved as his man. It was a test. If this lady, nobody listened to Elijah, not one single person in the area, this is why the famine came. When you have an opportunity to bless the men of God, bless them. I don't want your money. I don't want, but listen, if you have an opportunity to bless these men or the men of God, bless them. Because when you bless who God anoints, you get blessed. When you curse them, it goes back on you. I can't tell you how many lives I know of that, that have gone against the word or the man that preached the word and their lives went to nothing. Do you disagree? Listen, if he's a man of God and you're listening to him, then bless him. If he's not a man of God, then get away from him. I mean, come on. Put yourself in that position. He says, you make me the cake. Isn't that insensitive? Make me it. I don't care if you die. He's saying, I don't care if you guys die. Isn't he saying that? No, he's saying this. I'm giving you an opportunity to bless me. And I've been called by God to be here. If you bless me, God will take care of you. If you read that later, the Bible says that she makes it through the famine and her son. This cruise, this tall thing, never goes down. She keeps pouring it and pouring it and pouring it and pouring it because she blessed the man of God. Listen, that's the truth. If God sends somebody around you to tell you the word and you bless that person, that, per- that blessing is going to come on you. You're going to get the results of that blessing. Come on, somebody say amen. So back to Second Kings, Elisha knows what Elijah did with a tall glass. So he says, get me a tall glass. Come on, you got to see this. you got to love this. He says, I want you to put pure salt in it. Now, i got news for you. Salt is the most valuable thing in Elisha's day. We get our word salary from it. People were paid by salt. It was more precious than gold. It was more precious than silver. It was the most valuable thing they had. And he said, I want you to fill it up with salt. I'm sure they're thinking, are you crazy? We see you walking into the water. Why would you want us to fill this with salt? This is everything we have. It may have been the entire worth of Jericho. He's saying, I don't care. I'm telling you, fill it with salt and bring it to me. They are obedient. They fill it with salt and they bring it to him. You know what the Bible says. It goes in Second Kings and it's saying it's, it's the salt that, that, that he takes into the water to cure the water. Now listen to me real well. Come on, you've got to see this. The curse on Jericho was not broken until 550 years after it was issued. It was a direct grace of God. And it was broken by a symbol of salt in a large cruise being poured all over that water. If you haven't figured it out now, that salt was the most precious thing they had. Jesus Christ is the salt of eternity. Our curse could never be broken unless Jesus came and poured himself over the waters of mankind. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse verse 13 and 14, that he who knew no sin became sin. He who was was cursed to take away the curse. Let me tell you, it's called homeotherapy. When you get bitten by a snake, they give you anti-venom which is snake venom. When you, when you want to not have polio, they inject a small amount of polio into you. Jesus Christ is the curse breaker. Elijah didn't. Elisha didn't know it. He was unaware of it when he cast that salt onto the cursed waters. But listen, he's pointing to over 900 years in his future when Jesus of Nazareth would heal the curse of mankind by throwing himself onto the godlessness and the rebellion and, and all of the witchcraft and all of the disobedience of man. He's saved every single man, woman, and child that was ever born or will ever be born. All you've got to do is accept it. He is the curse breaker. And now, you and I can stand tall in our spirits 
Because we're called the salt of the earth. You can actually help someone else break their curse. The cure to the curse. Now listen, don't miss this. I'm closing soon. People curse themselves every day without even knowing it. Christians and non-Christians alike. That man cursed himself by putting that little plate on his car. I, I, I wouldn't want to know, but I'd like to see what happens to that car in him a year from now. Because not only is he cursed, proclaiming it, so is that car. Now watch. We curse ourselves by our statements. You don't want to tithe? Malachi says you stop tithing, you place a curse on yourself. Your finances will be cursed. Whether you believe that or not, it will be cursed. Until you act in obedience. The Bible says that out of our mouths flow both blessings and cursings and not not to be. Don't say, I'll never get ahead. I'll never get over my bills. Because you never will. Stop directing negative words at yourself. It's equal to cursing yourself. Now be careful. I'm not talking about positive or negative confession. I'm talking about walking tall. I'm talking about tall salt. I'm talking about breaking curses of complaining and negative thinking and low self-esteem. If you say, oh, my, this bad back of mine will never heal, it never will. You know why? Because why would God heal your back if you don't believe it's going to be healed? Forget about negative. God's not going to heal you if you don't believe He can. If you think it's only like some wish, it's not going to happen. It's by your faith. And for, and for some of you, you need to stop thinking that you're the only answer to everything. Because you're not. God can handle this without us. <laughs> Go right on without us. We've got to humble ourselves. So number one, you want to get rid of the curse in your life? Identify the foundation. Are you negative? Where did it come from? Confess it. You just did this. Are you angry? Are you prideful? Are you complaining? Are you lustful? Get those power, point, power prayers that I just said. Number two, get the tall jar and start adding salt, Jesus, to your life. When the situations like this in your life, you need to break the curse. I want you to know that God wants you to live a curse-free life. When you've done all these things, you must stop walking the path of unrighteousness. You must walk the path where you are blessed. God is the solution. Elisha applied the salt of heaven to the source. Salt is a purifier. It is a preserver and it's a seasoner. And I love this. You put salt on meat and leave it out, it'll dry up the blood and it'll, it'll rot the meat. If you put salt on blood and put it in a container, it'll preserve it. The blood of Jesus needs to be preserved in your life. It needs to be contained inside your spirit that you know that you know that God is blessing you. Listen, so that our lives and the curses can be completely taken care of. Look, it's time to re- reverse some curses right now. And we're going to do it today. I'm into prayer. I want to share something with you. My prayer life is probably the most powerful thing in my life. It's pow- more powerful than my preaching. And I, don't, I would never share this with you unless... I, unless this would follow. No one knows when I play. My, pray. My family doesn't know. I keep it a secret from everyone. Because everything I do spiritually is public. I preach in public. I pray for people in public. I lay hands on people in public. I counsel people. A lot of times people know they're on a book and they come in to be counseled. So I keep something private between me and God and it's my prayer life. And that prayer life is the most... It was, got, it was helped me thousands of times in my life. And I would never tell you this unless God showed me to tell you this. Last week and this week... God has extracted some of my prayers into preaching prayers. Or should I say teaching prayers? One of the reasons I'm having you repeat things, these are directly from my prayer life. And I'm giving them to you. Today we're going to do it one more time before we close. And we're going to get rid of these things that have been plaguing you for a long, long time. Now before I do that, 
I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet for a moment. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call you to be very quiet for a moment and just listen. And I'm going to, let, I'm going to reaffirm something to you. I don't know what pastors you may have had in the past and how much they have hurt you, but I'm going to tell you publicly I love you and I care for you. And I'm concerned for anybody that comes to church and listens to the Word of God. Not concerned that you're going to go to hell. That's not what I'm concerned about. When you're saved and you know you have heaven, I just don't want you to just hit every roadblock on the planet to get there. There's no reason the enemy should be hampering any one of us. Not in our minds, not in our hearts. We need to get rid of the stuff that we're dragging around so that you can have that smile. Listen, this church is a family. I don't care how big it gets. It's a family. That family means we love each other. We encourage each other. We lift each other up. We say positive things. We don't say negative things. You know what? There's negative people in this church. There's negative people in every church. You can't hide it with praise and worship. You can't hide it with a potluck supper. You get around people long enough, they're going to, the negative part of them is going to come out. And you know what? They're just a victim. They're dragging something around also. It's not, they're not your enemy. The thing is, blessings need to come out of our mouths. We need to bless each other. We need to be different than the rest of the churches that are in the world. And hopefully the rest of the church will be different too and we'll all be the same in God. Because churches aren't our enemies. If the church in Birmingham ever got together, they'd have to build 20 of these kind of places because they get filled up just like that instead of the fads that happen in Birmingham. You listening to me? Because God's not into fads. He's into strong believers who are willing not to run from one place to another but to break curses in their life and build the kingdom of God up. This is not a competition. I'm a missionary. Listen, you show me a tribe across the road, I'm going to bring him into here also. And whether you like that tribe or not, I'm still going to bring him in because a missionary goes out to everybody that breathes. So this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to break those curses in your life. I mean, as sure as I'm standing here, we're going to break them in your life. Before I do that, before I lead you in these powerful prayer points, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for one moment. If you are here and you are unsaved, I am not offering you a denomination. I do not like denominations. I am not offering you Cathedral of the Cross, the only church on the planet. It is not. There are lots of churches that love God with all of their hearts, lots of pastors. I am offering you an opportunity to once and for all break the curses in your life through salvation in the blood of Jesus Christ. You're going to get to the foundation today if you give your heart to the Lord. If you're here today and you've never given your heart to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand real high. Just raise it up. You're ready. This message is for you. Raise it up. Come on. Come on, raise it up. Hands going up over here. Where else? Raise them up. Maybe you want to rededicate that heart to the Lord. Raise those hands up. And in a moment, hands over here. Two of them over here. I'm going to ask you to come, come forward. There's going to be a whole lot more people here, but come forward. Listen, think about how you talk to people. Are you bitter all the time? Are you angry most of the time? Do you feel, do you feel insecure most of the time? Someone placed something on you. You may have placed it on yourself. Lift your, I want you out of here, when you get out of here, everybody, to lift your heads up and say, Jesus is the same for every one of us. What he can do in one, he can do in others. Every one of you can preach behind this pulpit whether you know it or not. Every single, don't tell me you don't talk, I don't, I don't like crowds. Don't tell me you can't talk in front of people. I just get so nervous talking in front of two people, it wasn't even funny. God could do it in me, he could do it in you. Every one of you can listen and be a better listener. We can take the qualities of Christ and through Christ we can do it all. Because we can break any curse that's been put upon us. 
I am so excited about the newfound understanding that I have of God. He is so powerful to do anything in us. He can change anything we have. This morning, if there's something that you know that you can actually identify, this message hits you, and you know that there's something in your life that you've got to give to Him. There may be a curse passed on. I want you to put your hand up real high. Don't be ashamed to do that. Put your hand up real high. Say, this is it. I'm leaving it here today. Whether it's a feeling of insecurity, whether it's this or that. Somebody came up to me and said, Pastor, I suffer from lust. And I said, you know what you don't suffer from? Dishonesty. Thank you for being honest. And I said, I told him, I said, you know, as long as you're honest, raise that hand. Okay, now watch this. Because we're going to break it with prayer. Are you ready? I'm going to ask you if God is leading you here today to come to this altar to make your move right now. And then we're going to pray this prayer, these prayers together. Just come right now. Come to the altar. Look, it's time to reverse the curse. No matter what it is. Now, I'm going to instruct you, church, directly from my prayer life of how I want you to pray this prayer. And then I'm going to dismiss you from this place. And here's what I'm going to dismiss. I'm going to dismiss a whole different group of people that came in here. Somebody does something wrong to you, let it go. There's not a whole lot of things in life that are important. Have you noticed that? Go to the graveyard and find out how many important issues were with those people that are in the graveyard right now. They're not written on their tombstone. One line, that's all you get. Sometimes. They even buy you a tombstone. One line. And you know what? No, it's more important than the one line. The dash in between the years you lived. Because the dash says who you were. Be the man and woman of God that God called you to be. Don't jump in somebody else's pen. I look around this auditorium and I see some people, some men and women that have had curses in their families and had to live with them. Bring them up today. Raise your hand and say, God, break the curse. It's been all around me. Now listen, here's what I want you to repeat after me. I want you to use all of the emotion you have. I want you to use all of the, of the, of the, of the strength and passion you have. Everything you can muster. And I want you to repeat these points in a powerful prayer to God today. Again, they're directly from my prayer life. And listen, curses have catastrophic events on our lives. A person should never hesitate to, rele- to release himself or herself from the effects of any curse. If you handle certain prayer points, the curses are going to be gone because you're making a declaration. Number one, Jesus, I refuse to drink from the fountain of sorrow and from the foundation of pain. I take authority over all curses issued against my life in the name of Jesus. I ask you, Lord, to remove any and all curses I've placed upon my own life because of my disobedience. And I pray that all curses issued against me right now be turned to blessings. Let me stop here for a moment and tell you what you just did. Anyone that's ever cursed Mark Carell, I just turned every curse into a blessing. That means the more people curse me, the more blessings I get today. So when somebody curses me, it doesn't bother me a bit. I just take it and turn it into a blessing. Because the more you get cursed, the more God can take them. And this is so liberating. Listen, which means the more you've been cursed, the more you'll be blessed now. As we close, repeat this. Same power. Every curse of mental and physical illness be broken in the name of Jesus. Every curse of failure and defeat 
be broken in the name of Jesus. Every curse of poverty be broken in the name of Jesus. Every curse of family breakups be broken in the name of Jesus. Every curse of oppression be broken in the name of Jesus. Every curse of depression be broken in the name of Jesus. Every curse of a bad reputation be broken in the name of Jesus. Every curse of personal destruction, self-mutilation, bulimia, anorexia, negativity to self through words spoken or suicidal thoughts be broken in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Every curse be broken in the name of Jesus. You are the sons of God. You are the daughters of God. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. You are the ones who know the curse reverser. Let's pray to Him, Lord. I thank You and I praise You today. I thank You for the release today, O oh God. Surely You are God. Surely You are good, O oh God. Lord, take Your Spirit and baptize this church. Send them out, O oh God, as overcomers on the world. Lord, we didn't just go to church today. We went to the throne, and the enemy knows it. Bless your children in Jesus' name, I pray. Come on, shout it to them. God bless you. You're the sin. We hope this radio program impacted your life. Our main hope and mission is that you have a continued personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We recommend that you pray every day, attend a Bible-believing church, and read the Holy Bible each day. If you don't know where to start reading, we recommend to start in the book of John. 